O Lord, as we now break open the bread of life, we pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, we remain standing. And our text, the sermon text this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 10 and 11. You listen as I read the very word of God. 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Just so you know, uh, it feels good to be standing here at this pulpit uh, among dear friends whom I've known and, and loved so long. But just so you also know, it's been quite a while <laughs> since I've stood at a pulpit and, and preached the gospel. And so... I'm a little rusty, comprehend, uh, and consequently I'm maybe just a little apprehensive. As we were talking this week, Senna said not to worry, that once you start preaching, it will all come back to you. It's sort of like riding a bicycle, she said encouragingly. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you never forget. But another friend, uh, only half in jest, I think, reminded me that and I may have told you this before, but he reminded me that you never want to be the first person in the chair after your barber has returned from a three-week vacation. <laughs> His hands are not working right yet. So in a sense, I guess, uh, you're sitting in the barber chair this morning, and I've just returned from a fairly lengthy sabbatical. So, but, so while you're sitting there in that chair... I don't want you to be, you know, just doing nothing. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and put Christ's words in my mouth, that he would be glorified and we would be edified. You know, after Marty called me last week asking if I would fill the pulpit for the next few weeks, uh, I immediately started praying, asking God what sort of message he wanted me to bring before you. And God reminded me that, that Desert Springs is going through a somewhat difficult transition period right now. You're adjusting to the loss of a pastor. You're actively searching for the right man to replace him. And having gone through that with you before, I, I do know how stressful and frustrating and sometimes fearful times like that can be. And God's people can easily become distracted. They can easily become discouraged. And so as I prayed, asking for God's wisdom, he kept saying to me over and over again, almost it seemed at times audibly, Stu, you need to go over there and more than anything else, be a Barnabas to those dear people. I want you to go and be a true son of encouragement to them. Lift them up. Challenge them to trust me during this troublesome time. Encourage them that if they do, 
that they will surely come out the other end as a stronger congregation than they've ever been before. Dear ones, you are well aware that I am a slow learner at times. But I got that message from God. And I intend to fully comply with it this morning, using as our text 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11. You know, these verses, particularly verse 10, they offer great encouragement for God's people to leave their irreversible past in his hands and to step out into an invincible future with him. First Peter, it's a, it's a wonderful letter of encouragement to Christians who were scattered throughout what is today modern Turkey. The theme of suffering runs throughout this letter. You know, people have called it a survival manual for suffering servants. It's also been called a letter which describes pain with a purpose. And that purpose is another theme of the letter, and that is the theme of glory. You know, one of the, one of the encouragements that Peter gives uncertain suffering saints is the assurance that their suffering will one day be transformed into glory. That gives a believer great, great hope. But you see, suffering doesn't automatically bring glory to God and blessing to God's people. I think it's true, you know this, uh, some, pe uh, some believers, they fall down in times of trial, uncertainty, and frustration. And consequently, they brought shame to the name of Christ. It's a real danger. It's only when we depend on the grace of God that we can glorify him in times of suffering. And so, Peter also emphasizes in this letter God's marvelous grace. So these three themes of suffering, of glory, and grace, I think they are wonderfully summarized in our text for today. And they form an encouraging message for believers in all ages. You know, as I stand before you this morning as your pastor de jour, it's appropriate for me, as God's representative, to pronounce a special benediction over you, God's people. For you see, that's what this verse really is. It's a beautiful benediction offered by the Apostle Peter to God's people who had just come through some pretty tough times and who were uncertain of what the future would hold. And he wanted to encourage them as they looked ahead into this somewhat murky future. And I want you to take this text this morning as a benediction from God. You know, God's people should never, they should never go out from his presence without receiving his blessing, his benediction. Dear ones, I want you to remember this verse throughout the days ahead as a point of support in any time of trouble or uncertainty that you might find yourself in. What a great benediction this is. A great blessing of our God. And in his name, I pronounce it upon you as you prepare to move into these uncharted waters of the future.
But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are two key things that I want you to see in this text. First, I want you to see why Peter expected that this benediction would be heard. And second, I want you to see what Peter specifically asked God to do for these saints who were looking into the, into the future. First, why did Peter expect this benediction to be heard? Peter says to us here, I expect to receive what I've asked for because I'm asking for it in the first place of the God of all grace. I'm not talking here, Peter says, about a God of little graces. I'm talking about the God of boundless grace. I'm talking here about the God of all grace, of quickening grace, of, of convincing grace, of pardoning grace, of believing grace, the God of comforting, supporting, and sustaining grace. If he is the God not of one grace, or of two graces, but of all graces. If in him there is stored up infinite, boundless, limitless supply of grace, how can you and I ever ask for too much? We can't. When we come to this God of all grace, we should come with large petitions, which is precisely what Peter does here. You know, there's a story told of one of Alexander the Great's soldiers who, when he was told that he could have whatever he asked for a, uh, for a reward for his valor in battle, he asked for a sum of money so large that Alexander's treasurer refused to pay it until he had first seen the monarch. When he went to see Alexander, the king smiled and said, it's true that that's a lot for him to ask for. But it's not too much for Alexander to give. I admire him for his faith in me. Let him have all that he asks for. As you, as a congregation, move into this rather murky future, let your petitions be large. Ask to be perfected, to be established, to be strengthened, to be settled. Because your God is the God of all grace. And dear ones, he will do it. I think another reason why Peter expected his benediction to be heard by God was because this God of all grace has called us. You know, calling in scripture, it's an interesting biblical doctrine. Calling is the first golden link of the endless chain of God's mercies that you and I experience. The very first thing that we know of Christ is his mercy. He calls us and he says, come to me all you who are tired and weary and I will give you rest. And he enables us to obey that call and to come to him. And if this God has called us then we can certainly ask that our faith wouldn't die out as the years roll by, but that it would remain strong even in times 
such as this. Your petitions this year can, can and should be big ones. Romans tells us, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. I think there's another reason why Peter expected God to hear this prayer. That God has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. You see, this is, the, this is the wonderful inheritance into which you and I were called. Whatever begins with God's grace will always lead to glory. And if we depend on God's grace when we suffer, when we're uncertain, frustrated, or anxious, there will always result in glory to God and blessing to us. Dear ones, any trials that we experience now are only for a while, but the glory that results is eternal. You know, these little troubles, these, these little paper cuts, these little bumps in the road, which we experience now are transitory, but they are winning for us a permanent, glorious, and solid reward out of all proportion to our current pain. And I think you need to reflect on that during this transition period. The verse also says it's by Christ Jesus that you receive these blessings. You see, if you go to God's treasury without Christ, you can ask for nothing, and you will get nothing. But when Christ is with you, you can then ask for anything because he deserves this, deserves it even though you and I don't. If I can claim the merits of Christ in my life, then I'm not afraid to ask for anything within the will of God. So I think very clearly that Peter has had every right to expect that this benediction would be answered because the God of all grace has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Next, I want you to note what Peter asked God to provide for these saints and what he asked God to provide for you today. He asked that God's people receive four things, that they be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Now, I think you've, you've realized by now, if you have different translations, that there are a lot of different translations of these four verbs, or future verbs. Primarily, I think, because it's hard to distinguish uh, among them. And what Peter has done for us here is to pile up four closely related terms that together underscore the good that God intends for his people and even now is producing in them, even in their uncertainties and suffering. If you have an NIV, you know that uh, it, these verbs are rendered restore, make strong, firm, and steadfast. The New American Standard says perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. The ESV, English Standard Version, says restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. But as you've noticed, I've been using the King James, which says to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle. 
So using those future verbs from the King James Version, let's look for just a moment at what God intends for his people in this marvelous benediction. The first blessing that Peter asks for is that God's people be perfected. I think the basic idea of this future verb is to, is to put in order, to equip, to, to fit together. You know, Paul tells us over in Philippians that he is confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I think here, here's the spiritual principle. God will never begin to sculpture out a perfect human being and not complete it. He will never just, just sort of sketch out a Christian and not fill in all the details. He will never leave his works unfinished. Dear ones, God will perfect you. He will put you in order individually and as a congregation as you continue to walk with him. But you need to also understand that it must be after you've suffered a while. You can't be perfected except by fire. There's no way of getting the sin, the impurities out of us except through the furnace of affliction. And so I pray this morning that God would continue to equip you, to perfect you, to put you in order in this uncertain time of fire that you're going through right now. The second blessing is that you might be established, which means to fix firmly, to set fast, sort of like concrete. May God fulfill to you this rich benediction, that you would not be like like smoke coming out of a chimney or the, or the flowers of the field which are here today and gone tomorrow. As you move ahead into this year, may every good thing that you have be an abiding thing. May your faith be built on solid rock that will endure the fire which will consume the wood, hay, and stubble of the hypocrite. May you be rooted and grounded in love. May your convictions be deep. You know, I pray that in this turbulent time, the God of all grace would allow you not to be exercised with doubt, but to know that you are secure in Christ. That resting upon the rock of ages, you would know that you cannot perish if your feet are fixed there. May your hope in this transition be fixed upon nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And may it be so firmly fixed that it would never shake. May your whole life be fixed and established. But again, mark that you cannot be established until you have suffered a while. It's no use in hoping that you will be well-rooted if you aren't buffeted at times by the winds of trials and tribulation. It's these winds that cause you to put your roots down deep in Christ. Well, the third blessing that Peter mentions here is to be strengthened. You know, I think it's true that there are some, there are some Christians whose character seems to be fixed and established, but they still lack energy and force and vigor. They need strength 
for spiritual battles. You know, I think many Christians just don't have the stomach for war. When they hear of conflict, their knees start to knock, they start to wobble, and they, many of them run and hide. But strong Christians, strong churches, a strong church, marches to the sound of the guns. They smell the battle from a distance, and they rejoice when it's joined. They laugh at their enemies. They're not overwhelmed by circumstances. In fact, they delight in them. I got to tell you this. Carolee got an email from a friend the other day, which I think illustrates in spades what a strong Christian should, <laughs> should be like. I think it's funny. You may not. This friend admonished Carolee to always live her life in such a way that when her feet hit the ground in the morning, Satan would shudder and say, oh no, she's awake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of Christian, strong Christian that we need. And that's also the kind that we find recorded for us in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, that great chapter of God's heroes. In that chapter, you see how men and women of faith they quenched the power of fire. They shut the mouths of lions. They shook their fists in the face of death. They put foreign armies to flight, all by the power of faith in their God. These were strong Christians. And I pray this morning that God would strengthen you like he did these men and women. But remember, if he does, you will have to suffer for a while. The last blessing is that you would be settled. The term means, really, to place on a foundation. You know, a house or a church founded on a rock will withstand any storm. But one built on sand will collapse when the storms come. There are many individual Christians and many congregations who are today not settled who are not laid on a firm foundation. You know, I think, I think of that great verse in Isaiah 28, verse 16, which speaks of Christ as the only foundation on which to rest. There is no other. You know, in that verse, God says to Judah, and he says to us, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. You know, I don't need to remind this congregation that in a very deep sense, Jesus Christ is the foundation of the entire way that God deals with us as human beings. Jesus Christ is the foundation laid by God for all of our security. Whatever the future may bring for us. Dear ones, as you go through this difficult transition period, grab hold of that truth. Build upon it. Settle upon it. And you will be eternally secure. Neither earthly calamities, changes in your life, disappointments, sorrows, losses, a delay in securing a new pastor, not the scourge of sin, nor the last enemy death 
nor the final retribution and judgment will ever touch you. The one foundation on which you can build secure and safe is that foundation which is laid in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God. The foundation of all our security is Jesus Christ. And I pray that Desert Springs Presbyterian Church would be settled in that reality. But not only is Christ the foundation of all of our security, he's also the foundation for all of our thinking, for all of our opinions, for all of our doctrine, for all of our beliefs, all of our knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And whatever facts you and I are able to grasp in our feeble thinking in regard to all the most important truths of this life are to be found in the life and death of Jesus Christ and in the truths which these reveal. He's the Alpha from whom all truth must be deduced. He is the Omega to which it all leads up to. If we know anything about God, it's due to Jesus Christ. If we know anything about ourselves, it's due to him. If we know anything about what men ought to do, it's because he has done all human duty. And if into the murkiness of the future, this congregation has ever had one clear beam of insight, it's because he has died and risen again. If you have Christ and you ponder the principles that are involved in and flow from the facts of his life and death, then that truth will indeed set you free. To know him is to hold the key to all mysteries. And knowledge without him is just kind of like groping around in the darkness. So, dear ones, I pray that in the future days, you would be settled on this incredible foundation on which God has built his mercy to all generations. It's on this foundation alone that you and I may build our safety, our thinking, our obedience, and we can rest assured we can be settled on it this year and beyond. Well, let me make this uh, final comment and then I'm done. It is my sincere prayer for you that during this period of transition, that you will live nearer to God and Christ than you've ever done before. You see, when you do that, when you think much of God, then you think little of yourselves and of the doubts and the fears that surround you. You may remember this story. I always I recycle all my stories. Uh, but it's applicable here. Plus, I, I love dog stories. <clears throat> I had a seminary professor in at RTS Orlando by the name of Steve Brown. Some of you probably know of Steve. He lived in South Florida when uh, Hurricane Andrew came ashore in 1993. Terrible hurricane. Wiped out all of South Florida. And he told me that during the hurricane, his German shepherd Quincy stayed close to him as they both hid in the closet. And Steve reports, he said he could hear parts of the roof coming off, large trees blowing against the house, flying objects pounding against the walls. Then the ceiling of the closet started to go, and they were forced to flee to another part of the house. 
And they said, you know what Quincy did? He dropped his ball in my lap to play. <laughs> and he wanted to say, Quincy, you know, don't you realize that we're about to die? Don't you understand that the house is about to blow away? Don't you know that the whole world has changed? Are you crazy? This is not the time to play ball. But then he realized that Quincy felt he was safe because he was with him. Dear ones, it's that way with us and God. We're called to trust him, even in the middle of trials and uncertainty and change. Most of you know I spent uh, 25 years in the Army. <clears throat> Carrie and I made a lot of moves during those 25 years. I think we moved, we figured out, about 23 times. We went all over the world, great adventure, all kinds of assignments. And when my orders would come, we would always discuss each one. And I would ask her what she thought we ought to do. And every time she would say to me, Stu, I don't care where we go or what we do, as long as I'm with you. You see, that has to become your prayer to God this year. Father, enable us to be with you, to walk with you this year. Enable us by your grace to say, Lord, we don't care where we go or what we do in 2009 as long as we are with you. If you can do that, then God can work with you. His promise is sure. This God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, well, even in the midst of trials, uncertainty, and change, which will surely come to this congregation, he will himself perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He will do it. You can count on it. And when he does, I pray that you would give him all the glory and honor that is due his name. Let's pray. Now, our Father, we ask you to bless these words to our hearts. May we not be only hearers, but doers of your word. Let us always be active in our walk with you, but always depending upon you, the God of all grace. These are turbulent times for these dear ones who love you and are called according to your purpose. Bless them in the days ahead, even now, as you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle them. In you, their future is not only secure, but it is indeed glorious. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.